You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Don't struggle to align your organization's cybersecurity with business risk. Get the only solution that goes beyond reacting to threats with vulnerability and risk monitoring. You need the next evolution of MDR, and only Critical Start delivers it. Critical Start doesn't just monitor and respond to threats. They put you in control by detecting suspicious activities, quickly responding to contained threats, and identifying your most critical assets and protecting them against vulnerabilities and exposures. With continuous visibility, expert guidance, and measurable risk reduction, Critical Start has redefined what it means to manage cyber risk. Demonstrate provable security maturity to your leadership while positioning your program to achieve the greatest risk reduction per dollar spent. Stop fearing risk and start managing it with Critical Start. Visit criticalstart.com and request a demo today. That's criticalstart.com. A medical center in Paris comes under ransomware attack and refuses to pay up. Lessons for the fifth domain from six months of hybrid war. Deepfake scams appear to have arrived. Deep into Sai from Zscaler with an introduction to our audience. Dave Bittner sits down with Gil Hoffer, CTO and co-founder of Salto, to discuss who hacks Slack. And threat actors prepare to exploit hike vision camera vulnerability. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Trey Hester filling in for Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, August 24th, 2022. The Centre Hospitalier Sud Francilier sustained a ransomware attack that has disrupted services and forced diversion of patients to other healthcare facilities. CHSF, a large 1,000-bed hospital between 28 kilometers from downtown Paris, says the attack affected a range of systems, including patient admissions, medical records, and especially medical imaging. France 24 reports that the ransomware gang has demanded $10 million for restoration of the hospital systems, which CHSF has refused to pay. The attack is thought to be the work of either Ragnar Locker or Lockbit 3.0 especially since responsibility for the investigation has gone to the National Gendarmerie's cyber unit, which would handle this sort of international cybercrime. Bleeping Computer cites local researchers who think the attack is more consistent with Lockbit 3.0's operation. An attack on a hospital, especially one that puts patients at some risk, would amount to a violation of the ransomware-as-a-service market's humanitarian code, if, that is, one takes such criminal avowals of social responsibility seriously. We don't. Today marks the 31st anniversary of Ukrainian independence from the Soviet Union, and it also marks the sixth month of Russia's war against Ukraine. As Ukraine braces for renewed Russian strikes against its cities, the Atlantic Council has published a set of lessons to be learned from half a year of Russia's war against Ukraine. Some of them have particular relevance to cybersecurity. 1. Lesson for wartime strategic communications. Influence operations are a day-in, day-out job. Russia has not succeeded in influence operations, but Ukraine has, 
largely because it is tamped down on disinformation and coordinated in authenticity. 2. Lesson for hybrid war. Don't ignore the fundamentals. Conventional military failures, particularly in tactics and logistics, have marked the Russian invasion. It's also been marked by intelligence and influence operations failures. 3. Lessons for would-be invaders. You can't hide preparations for a full-scale invasion. Intelligence is now a commodity. Open sources now show collection and analytic capabilities that formerly would have been possessed only by advanced nation-states. Russian official media themselves pretty clearly telegraphed Moscow's intentions, as did social media posts from ordinary Russian soldiers and citizens. Armies have yet to come to grips with the OPSEC challenges of social media. 4. Lesson for Cybersecurity The private sector should play a critical military operational role in cyberspace. Ukraine has proved surprisingly resilient in the face of hostile Russian cyber operations, and this has been due to a large part to its own preparations, shaped by lessons learned from more than a decade of hostile Russian gray zone operations. But Russia's invasion of Ukraine has generated a new role for the private sector, which is engaging in direct cyber combat against Russian cyber attacks and in support of Ukraine's military and governmental functions. While Ukraine has its own capable cyber defenders, who, for example, stopped an attack against the Ukrainian electric grid, those efforts have been complemented by private sector firms that have worked with Kyiv both by helping to identify and disable malware and taking additional actions to create a much more defensible Ukrainian cyberspace. Both Microsoft and Cisco have published reports detailing defensive cyber operations and European cybersecurity firms, such as the Slovakian firm ESET, who have also been engaged. Ukraine's cybersecurity defense has additionally been enhanced through the use of Starlink terminals and the transfer of Ukrainian governmental functions to cyber clouds outside of Ukraine. The actions that these private companies have undertaken foreshadow the critical role such firms will play in future 21st century conflicts. And five, lesson for U.S. homeland security. Ignoring the home front is a serious mistake. The inherently deniable and ambiguous character of cyber conflict tend to spread its effects beyond the immediate theater of operations. The U.S. got off to a good start, but emphasis may have failed in recent months. More needs to be done by DHS and others to get the American people to understand and better resist the Russian hybrid warfare campaigns that promote divisive propaganda and social media manipulation. Russia's hybrid warfare strategy, which uses disinformation even more than cyber attacks, seems designed to wear down Western democracies' opposition to Russia's aggression. Acting on this final lesson, we note, is perhaps easier said than done. Disinformation can be difficult to counter, especially since the obvious moves against it are difficult to contend with in any society that values freedom of speech. Bitcoin.com reports that scammers used an AI hologram as a deepfake impersonation of cryptocurrency exchange Binance's chief communications officer, Patrick Hillman, in scam Zoom video calls with representatives of various cryptocurrency projects. Hillman, blogging about the experience last week, said he became aware of the scam when he received messages from the targets, thanking him for taking the time to meet with them in calls he in fact never attended. Quote, It turns out that a sophisticated hacking team used previous news interviews and TV appearances over the years to create a deep fake of me. End quote. It's not just deep fakes on Zoom either. A more conventional impersonation is also troubling Binance. Business Insider reports that Cheng Peng Zhao, the CEO of cryptocurrency exchange Binance, tweeted that, quote, LinkedIn has 7,000 profiles of Binance employees, of which only 50 or so are real, end quote. Reports of fake accounts are by no means confined to Twitter. Twitter, we note in passing, 
continues to receive a great deal of media and regulatory attention in the wake of its former security executive's public airing of his complaints about the platform's general security posture, including its alleged toleration of bots. And finally, CyFirma researchers report that Hikvision networked cameras are susceptible to exploitation of command injection vulnerability. Exploitation could enable attackers to enroll cameras as bots in distributed denial-of-service attacks. It could also afford threat actors the opportunity to pivot to other, more sensitive portions of the networks the cameras connect with. Various criminal groups are exchanging information on the vulnerable systems in underground fora. Quote, Cypherma researchers have observed in the sample analyzed multiple instances of hackers looking to collaborate on exploiting Hikvision cameras using the command injection vulnerability CVE-2021-36260 globally. Specifically, in the Russian forums, we have observed leaked credentials of Hikvision camera products available for sale. These can be leveraged by hackers to gain access to the devices and further exploit the path of attack to target an organization's environment. End quote. The report mentions the possibility of exploitation for geopolitical purposes, which suggests a potential nation-state or privateering threat. Paul Bischoff, privacy advocate for Comparatech, wrote to explain some of the difficulties involved in security devices like networked cameras. Quote, IoT devices like cameras aren't always as easy or straightforward to secure as an app on your phone. Updates are not automatic. Users need to manually download and install them, and many users might never get the message. End quote. These devices also don't give users the sorts of cues a smartphone, for example, does. Quote, Furthermore, IoT devices might not give any indication that they are unsecured or out of date, whereas your phone will alert you when an update is available and likely install it automatically the next time you reboot. IoT devices do not offer such conveniences. Hackers can easily find devices running vulnerable firmware or software using an IoT search engine like Shodan. From there, they can hijack the devices to enlist them as part of a botnet, mine cryptocurrency, or launch further attacks through the camera's network. In this case, the problem is exacerbated by the fact that Hikvision's cameras come with one of a few predetermined passwords out of the box, and many users don't change these default passwords." End quote. So, unlike your phone, an unpatched camera, like so many other humble IoT devices, will just suffer in silence if it's unpatched. Please, do remember to change your default passwords. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use. With zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. 
Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. It is not uncommon for modern companies to employ dozens, if not hundreds, of business applications to help streamline the things they do. Every one of those apps has the potential to serve as a gateway for bad actors to access your data. Gil Hoffer is CTO and co-founder of Salto, an organization looking to centralize the management of software-as-a-service applications. Any business today is using a very large collection of business applications in order to run their business. Anything from Salesforce to run the sales processes, to NetSuite for finance, to Jira for engineering task management, to, ta- to Slack for collaboration, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So you'll have anything from a few tens to many hundreds of those business applications, which are basically these uh, highly distributed back-office system for a modern company. And in order for those companies to actually utilize those business applications, they need to customize or configure or extend all of those business applications or platforms to fit their actual business needs. And the thing is that those platforms tend to be highly customizable in many cases, which makes it very easy to make mistakes And as you well know, such configuration mistakes, we know them for tens of years from infrastructure. They create a very, very significant attack surface for for systems. And exactly the same happens with those business applications. You can very easily configure a wrong rule that would open all kinds of access, for example, on the permission side. You can create, and we saw it with some of our customers, you can miscreate some kind of an automation or trigger, let's say, in your support system and start sending data of one customer to another customer by email just because you did like a wrong configuration of those business applications. So we believe that right now we're still on a relatively early days in those uh, with using those systems, they're still lacking, lacking a lot of controls, still lacking a lot of methodologies and tools in order to properly manage those in a predictable and secure way. It's interesting because, you know, I think many organizations see the utilities in these kinds of tools and they, they really do help run the business Is the notion here that it's not so much that they're insecure out of the box, it's just that the fact that they are customizable can can lead to errors? Yeah, definitely. Um, Well, you know, if we look at the infrastructure, let's say servers or databases, et cetera, usually when we introduce vulnerabilities, these are in 
customizations that we make in code that we write and configuration changes that we make. And it's exactly the same here. Let's say if we look at NetSuite, for example. So you can actually extend NetSuite and it actually serves like, like a web server. You can add API endpoints that can receive traffic from the internet even, if that's how you configure it. Now, this is a highly sensitive financial system that you can add code to, you control permissions and roles, etc. And if you make a mistake, you can very easily expose your organization to some very severe risks. And we are seeing organizations today realizing that this is a problem, the way that they manage their business applications in terms of quality, in terms of security, in terms of predictability, just being able to know when will they release something. And they are trying to adapt and adopt better best practices and better tools and better methodologies for, for doing that. And so what are your recommendations here? I mean, is, is this a matter of, of putting procedures in place or, or is there more to it than that? So part of it is procedures, but in many cases, it's also, first of all, it's, it's around state of mind, right? Because if, let's say, the person is managing your, your Zendesk, your main customer says support uh, uh, tool, if he thinks of, uh, of himself as mostly an admin, he goes into, does something, is not aware of the actual implication of the changes that he's doing, about the risks that he might be exposing his organization to, then we're not really going to make any kind of headway here. So it starts with awareness and understanding that those systems are crucial. They're a critical part of any modern business and changes in their configuration can have a real negative and positive, obviously, impact on those organizations. Then when we realize that, then we need to deal with processes. So having the right methodologies in place, procedures, et cetera, as well as tools and tooling. And there are ways today, some emerging ways to actually use tools which are more similar to, let's say the infrastructure is code type of tools for let's say Terraform, these kind of tools from infrastructure. You can actually mm -hmm. use stuff like that also for managing your business applications configuration. Salto is one of those tools, but there are other ways you can do that. And once you start using these kind of tools, then you can actually start utilizing, let's say, Git in order to version control your changes. You can introduce peer reviews, code reviews uh, to those changes. And there are also some more advanced organizations, especially with Salesforce, some with NetSuite, who actually went all the way in and implemented a full-blown CI-CD pipeline with security checks, with full visibility, with great automation around all the changes that, that they make. So I would say that it starts with awareness, continues with procedures and processes, and which would require tooling in many cases. That's Gil Hoffer from Salto. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, 
Banta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And it is my pleasure to welcome to the show Deepan Desai. He is the Chief Information Security Officer and also VP of Security Research and Operations at Zscaler. Deepan, great to have you here on the CyberWire. Thank you, Dave, for having me. So uh, I want to take this opportunity to, first of all, uh, welcome you. We're going to be talking uh, regularly, you and I, here as part of our partner segments that we do here. Uh, but I wanted to uh, take this opportunity to introduce you to our audience, allow you to Share a little bit about yourself for folks who may not have been introduced to you. Great. No, um, happy to do that. So as you mentioned, I'm, I'm the global CISO and head of security research here at Zscaler. I've been with uh, Zscaler for a little over eight years. Uh, my primary responsibilities involve running the global uh, security research operations, uh, as well as working with our product groups uh, to ensure that our platforms and services are secure. I've been involved in the field of cybersecurity for past 17, 18 years now. And uh, prior to Zscaler, I was uh, I was in security leadership roles at uh, Dell SonicWall. So throughout last uh, almost two decades, my my journey uh, in the field of cybersecurity has involved towards doing threat research, looking at how the threat landscape has evolved, but at the same time also build newer detection technologies to combat that evolving threat landscape. And what is your day-to-day like these days with your colleagues there at Zscaler? Yeah, my day-to-day um, operation, obviously the primary focus is to make sure uh, we're keeping our customers secure as well as our platform secure. So it's it's sort of divided between, uh, you know, keeping an eye on things that are of interest uh, from the coverage perspective. So we have these uh, daily briefings. Uh, our goal is to make sure, you know, we're, we're on top of uh, newer threats. And then there is also the whole SOC aspect where uh, we're, we're looking at uh, what uh, is being observed in our own infrastructure, in our own global operations in terms of threat activity, attempted attacks, uh, and how we're able to mitigate those. Do you have any particular areas of interest, you know, th- things that uh, that draw your attention? Yeah, I'm, I'm really interested in, um, you know, um, so as part of my role, I also get to talk to a lot of security leaders around the globe. And I'm I'm really passionate about helping many of these organizations drive the digital transformation that we're all experiencing. And it's fundamentally driven by the whole zero trust architecture initiative, right? And uh, that's one thing that I'm really passionate about where helping these organizations go through that journey, improve their security posture in order to be in the best possible 
security posture to defend against ransomware threats, supply chain attacks, things that we're seeing today as part of our daily tracking activity. Where do you suppose we stand today when it comes to the adoption of zero trust? Where, where are we on that journey? It's still ongoing. I would say we are in much better situation than pre-pandemic. Uh, pandemic did have a role to play. If you look at uh, the whole journey, the whole digital transformation journey, I, I see three major areas. One is application transformation, where the apps are moving from your internal networks to public cloud. Right? That's the app transformation piece. There is network transformation piece where the old way of doing things was hub and spoke. Now everyone wants direct path to the internet, right? So that's a network transformation piece because your apps are living on the internet. And these are, there are SaaS applications, the first piece I mentioned. And the third piece is the security transformation where, again, the goal is you don't want to um, use the old uh, uh, castle and moat technology where you're bringing in traffic at a central point, a choke point to perform security inspection. Instead, you need that zero trust architecture where all your user traffic is subjected to consistent security policy. So if you combine all of those three things, that's basically the digital transformation uh, that uh, needs to happen for majority of the organizations if they want to safeguard against the modern attacks that we see. All right. Well, welcome uh, to the CyberWire, Deepin. Always a pleasure to speak with you. Deepin Desai, thanks for joining us. That's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technology. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Brandon Karp, Eliana White, Peru Prakash, Liz Irvin, Rachel Gelfin, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Ivan, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Trey Hester, filling in for Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Hi, everybody. It's Maria Varmazas here, your host over at T-Minus Space Daily and sometimes a guest on Hacking Humans, too. We here at N2K CyberWire work hard to bring you concise, intelligence-driven news and commentary, and we'd like to know how we're doing. Please take a few minutes to complete our audience survey and share your feedback to help us continue to grow and meet your needs. Visit cyberwire.com slash survey. That's cyberwire.com slash survey to get started. Thanks so much for your input as we reach for the stars. It means the universe to us. And now a word from our sponsor, SpyCloud, the leader in operationalizing cybercrime analytics. Traditional threat intelligence is a thing of the past. 
Cyber criminals are stealing vast amounts of credentials, session cookies, and financial data every day, and it's hard to keep up. SpyCloud is the trusted partner businesses turn to to fully understand their darknet exposure risk and neutralize threats before it's too late. SpyCloud alerts your organization as soon as an employee or customer's data appears on the dark net, so you can act faster than bad actors to prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, session hijacking, account takeover, and online fraud. With insights from the industry's largest repository of recaptured data, protect the digital identities and systems most important to your business. Get your free corporate darknet exposure report at spycloud.com slash cyberwire and see what information criminals have in their hands today. That's spycloud.com slash cyberwire. Cyberwire. 